Just like the beginning of the first book of the Bible, John's gospel begins in darkness. John writes, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not overcome it. This is a pattern. It's a formula you keep seeing popping up again and again in that first chapter of John's gospel. The light comes into the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. So, for instance, John also says, He was in the world, referring to the light, referring to the Son of God. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. Same pattern. He came into the world, the world did not know him. John also writes, he came to what his own, and his own people did not accept him. Same pattern. Came into what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. It's wrong, though, I think, to suspect that John's gospel is trying to depict a struggle between light and darkness, like two sides, two armies in a kind of seesawing battle, one side seemingly, for a moment at least, more dominant than another, until at the very last moment, through some daring gambit or through some act of supreme self-sacrifice, the other side pulls out a victory from the jaws of defeat. We know that story very well, don't we? It makes for a great story. Those sorts of struggles are at the heart of stories like The Lord of the Rings or The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe or A Wrinkle in Time. In a much more boring way, it's also pretty much at the heart of every Star Wars movie, if, you know, you're into that sort of thing. The struggle between two sides, light and darkness, one side seemingly more dominant, and then the other side snatches victory. It's a great story, but it's not Jesus' story. And certainly not John's story. The story that John's gospel wants to tell is a far more perilous story. It's not the story of light battling against darkness. It's the story of light coming into a world that is fundamentally opposed to the light. It's the story of light coming into the world that is, and it's a world that is governed by rules and rivalries and power dynamics that are fundamentally hostile to the light. It's the story of a light that comes into a world and that world is intolerant of the light. Not intolerant in the way that we ordinarily say someone is being intolerant. I mean intolerant in the sense of the light coming into the world and that light being like an allergen, like a foreign body. And this world promptly marshals all of its antibodies and sends it to war against the light. This world is allergic to the light. It goes against the logic, the very DNA of the world. And this world cannot comprehend it. So what are the rules of this world that John's gospel talks about? If you read through John's gospel, you'll see world, this word, world comes up again and again and again and again. What are the characteristics of this world? What are the rules that govern this world? What's well, a rule? It's a world of rivalries, ethnic rivalries, like the rivalry between Jews and Samaritans. It's a world of political rivalries, 
like the rivalry between Romans on the one hand and rebels on the other. Rebels like the Sicarii. I'm not sure if you've heard of them, but the Sicarii were a very famous, very, very well-known group of holy warriors in the first century. They were assassins. They were rebels who would conceal themselves beneath large cloaks. And what they'd usually have beneath their cloak was a sikai, a sikai, a long, sharp, uh, sharp blade. They would come up against a Roman soldier or leader, bring out the blade, slip it in, conceal it back in their cloak, and disappear into the crowd. If you were thinking Assassin's Creed, you're actually not too far off the truth. Political rivalries, Romans and rebels. This world that John's gospel describes is a world of power. The power that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law try to hold over the people. The power that they exert over the people by constantly dismissing them as, to quote John chapter 7, these people know nothing. They are accursed. But you can't talk about power in John's gospel without thinking about Pilate's power. Pilate's absolute power. Do you not know? Pilate says to Jesus that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you. The final characteristic of John's world is it's a world of greed. It's a world where money is lusted after and acts of extravagant giving or lavish generosity are met with bewilderment and confusion. Just take, for instance, in John chapter 12, Mary comes, sits at Jesus' feet, and pours over his feet perfume worth 300 denarii. That's more than an annual salary. She pours them on Jesus' feet. And Judas, Judas Iscariot, by the way, keep Iscariot in mind. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Judas Iscariot says, why was this perfume not sold? It could have been given to the poor. John just adds a little note there. He said this not because he cared one bit about the poor, but because he was an extortionist. He kept the common purse and liked to steal from it. John's world is a world of rivalries. It's a world of power. It's a world of greed. And it's into this world that the light comes. It's into this world that the light comes. And this world cannot understand the light. It cannot comprehend the light. And that's what makes the world dark. John's world isn't dark because it's overly depraved. Because it's remarkably evil. It's dark because it cannot understand the light. The light is incomprehensible to it. That's why in John's gospel, Jesus is depicted as a light that can't be seen. Jesus is a word that cannot be understood. And this leads to a really strange series of shocks and surprises throughout John's gospel. For instance, the very people who you would expect to be able to understand Jesus can't make heads or tails of him. Next time you read through John's gospel, make a note of all the times where someone says, but they did not understand him. But they had no idea what he was saying. 
but they did not comprehend his words. So the very people that you would expect to understand Jesus have no idea what's going on. And yet then in John chapter 9, a man who was born blind can see exactly who Jesus is. He was in the world. He came, the world he came into, came into being through him, John says. And yet the world did not know him. Or to put it in the words of John chapter 3, this is the judgment of the world. The light came into the world, but people loved darkness. Thankfully, there's a but. John also tells us, but those who did receive him, to those he gave power to become the children of God. Now, this sounds an awful lot like to me, if the first part of John's gospel is very much like Genesis, this sounds an awful lot to me like Exodus. John tells us, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The light comes into the world, the world cannot understand it, and yet there are some people, bizarrely, who make their way towards the light and gather around it. This sounds an awful lot to me like Exodus. The people coming out of slavery to Egypt, gathering around the mountain where the presence of God is, and making their home around the presence of this God. So this is the question of John's gospel. The light comes into the world. Who will run from it? Who will come towards it? The light comes into the world. Who prefers darkness? And who will be drawn towards the light? That is the fundamental question of the first 12 chapters of John's gospel. The light has come into the world. Who will come into the light? Who will see it and be drawn towards it? Who will prefer darkness? It's no wonder then that one of the final things that Jesus says to his disciples at the end of chapter 12, he says, the light is with you for a little while longer. Walk in the light while you have the light so that the darkness does not overtake you. I'm supposed to be talking about Judas. I have been. See, where we are, Where we are at this moment then in John chapter 13 is the darkness has fallen. It's the night before Passover. The darkness is beginning to close in around Jesus. He is saying that the hour is coming. The time is almost there when the darkness is going to close in on the light. Jesus knew, John tells us, that his hour had come to depart from the world, the world, and go to the Father. Jesus gathers in the room with his disciples to celebrate the Seder meal before the Passover. The meal, by the way, that commemorates the exodus from Egypt and the gathering around the mountain. We are introduced around this meal to the three characters that we are going to be following this morning. There is Simon Peter. Simon, upon hearing Jesus say that one of you will betray me, Simon motions to another disciple to ask, who, who? 
The disciple that Simon motions towards is our second character. He's simply referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's never named the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we're told, interestingly enough, that he is there reclining next to Jesus. The final character we're introduced to here is Judas Iscariot. If the name Iscariot sounds strange to you, you will have noticed its connection to the group of assassins that I mentioned before. The Sicari. The Sicari. People who are holy warriors who conceal their blades and are willing to fight their enemies for God's sake. Judas, we are told, at the end of the meal, we are told that upon eating the bread, Satan enters him. We are told that Judas, now in the presence of the light, goes out into the darkness. We should all be haunted, I think, by what's coming next, because we are told Judas immediately went out, and it was night. <laughs>